This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. It's great to be here, um, and we were here about two years ago in the parabola, and it's just brilliant to see new faces and see what's happening. Uh, we've kind of loved this church, loved your church since before you were a church, since we uh, heard that these guys were moving down from Manchester, and uh, so it's good to be here with you. Um, I hope my accent's okay. I mean, I, you used to like Leeds lingo week in, week out. You should be okay with me. Um, so I'm going to be speaking about life and death this morning. We're going to be looking at this concept. And uh, the Spanish writer Carmen Corda tells a story of a young woman who gave birth to a blind son. And uh, so she went to the neighbors, went to her family and she said, listen, I don't want my child to become aware of his disability, so you may not use words like light and color and sight. And so the boy, the little boy grew up um, not being aware of what was going on or of his disability until one day a strange girl jumped over the fence and used all the forbidden words. And in a moment, what had been his reality came crashing down. It just, she, she ruined everything for the mom. And I want to suggest that in many ways we are like this boy that we kind of only see part of what there is, and we have a suspicion that there's more, and then one day a Christian comes along. And the Christian jumps the fence and tells us about a reality beyond death and begins to change our context somewhat. And they begin to tell us that there's a loving God who seeks to make sense of our chaotic world. And uh, for many people, this news is not that welcome. They didn't want to hear that. They didn't want to hear that there's a God who loves them. They didn't want to hear that there is more to life. Now, when you talk about death, our culture does not like talking about death. Your culture, I mean, you have kind of the... uh, the iconic dead parrot from Monty Python. That's as far as you go about talking about death. You, you make fun of it. We talk about someone pushing up daisies or being six foot under. In our culture, we often use the word late. Oh, my uncle, he's late. You know, late, late for the meeting? Late, late, late for supper? What, what is he late for? No, he's late. He's gone. And uh, so we use, in, we, you know, we use this kind of soft language, we joke about it, but we don't talk seriously about death. And this morning I want to talk about death. I want, to, I want us to see death as part of our human experience. You know, it, it, it's coming to all of you. Know, the, the best thing about death, 
Well, the second best thing about death. The best thing about death is that it actually is a doorway into eternity. But the second best thing about death, it's probably going to be the first exam I'm ever going to get 100% for. So I got through school and university, but I got through. I didn't achieve. Like, I know some of uh, the mathematicians around here, what's the name, got married yesterday? Those kind of guys, when they go into a math test, they're like trying to get 105% because they get the extra 5% for neatness and working and whatnot. So at least I know I'm going to get 100% for that. But uh, when we think about death, we also think about our lives. And we kind of think about life, and we all are seeking to live our lives well. We're seeking to have the perfect life, ultimately. You know, you, you want the perfect house. You want the perfect car. You want the perfect job. If you're going to be here, you know, you, you may as well be in the perfect job. And you British people seem to love DIY, so you definitely are looking for the perfect home, the perfect kids, the perfect retirement, which probably isn't in the UK. Easy, yeah. Easy. <laughs> Spain... Cape Town, there's loads of English people retiring to Cape Town. I, I, I don't get it. Their family's all here. But we're living for these perfect existences. And uh, I'm like you. I've also dreamed of the perfect life. Now, there might be someone who's sitting here thinking, well, sure, life looks pretty perfect to me, jetting around the world, staying over at the Kellets. I'm available afterwards to talk about how imperfect my life is. But Lauren and I, when we got married, we dreamed of the perfect marriage. We uh, were looking forward to the perfect marriage. Imagine our surprise when on honeymoon we had the mother and father of all fights. <laughs> and we kind of looked at each other and was like, is this what it's all about? <laughs> there must be lots of single people here that you're not laughing. Because us married people know <laughs> this, this, this is coming, man. I can't wait to get that perfect life. Yeah, well, when you get married, you realize actually there's no such thing as the perfect marriage. And this perfection that we dream of doesn't really exist. But I think that there's something in the way that we made, the way that we wired, that causes us to dream of perfection. Now, this is the way that God has made us. And it's, it's not just spiritual people that have these dreams and desires. In fact, if you're human, part of our humanity is that we dream of something better. We dream of perfection. The writer of Ecclesiastes says to us in three, chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, he says, I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he says, he has put eternity into man's heart. You see, friend, if you're here this morning, if you are human, you've been made for an eternity in perfection with God. That is, forever with God in a perfect existence. That, that is what you were made for. This is what you were designed for which is why we live with such frustration. We, we live with frustration because we've been made for that and yet we find ourselves in this. We, we find ourselves in our reality, which is rather sad compared to the reality that we've been made for. 
And this makes it difficult to handle the imperfect. Just to warn you, England are unlikely to win the European Championship. <laughs> it's tough to handle the imperfect. It's tough living with the 1966 being so far away. You know, so much of our life that is imperfect, and yet we long for perfection. You see, perf eternity has kind of been interrupted. It's been busted into. And as a result, we, we dream much. We cry much. We weep much. Because we've been made for something and we, our reality is totally different. You see, this, friends, is not life as it was meant to be. This was not how God set it up to be. But this is the reality within which we live. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I know that things operate according to their design. You know, so if we're made to be like this, that's how we operate. And so you're not going to walk out of here and find like a trout walking down the road with his labradoodle. It just doesn't happen. You're not likely to find me singing in the band. I cannot sing. I used to say, you wouldn't find Justin Bieber playing in my home. But then an 11-year-old came into my home with one of those Justin Bieber, I was going to say CDs. What, what are you, it's EP. It's, it's, just, come, it's just coming from... See, I wasn't made to rock one of those hipster beards. I don't see many of them here. But in my part of town, I mean, like, every dude is walking around with, with hipster beards. They're like, I cannot do it. God has designed me to be clean-shaven because I, I just cannot, I cannot do that. And friends, we are made to live according to the design, which is why... We have so much frustration now, and C.S. Lewis sums this up beautifully. He says, If I find in myself desires that nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Think about that for a moment. If I find in myself desires that nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. You see, friends, eternity is not some fabrication by spiritual politicians to control the masses. No. The Bible teaches about the glorious reality of life after death. And the problem in our world is that we are an eternal people, a people made for eternity who have stopped believing in eternity. We're an eternal people that have stopped believing in eternity. I wonder if this is not the reason why in countries in the West and parts of our nation, like where I live, very first world and, you know, with it, where people have stopped believing in eternity, we are surrounded by people horribly depressed, horribly sad, horribly unfulfilled. See, Francis Chan helps us. I've got an illustration. I brought a friend. Now, back home, I had a, 
a friend called Snakey, but can I just get some help here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you take that? Okay, just keep going, Howard. Out the door, that's, that's great. And then just tape it to the door, maybe. Okay. So now, just for a moment, be, bear with me. I want you to imagine that, that this piece of tape is not a piece of tape that sticks to everything. <laughs> that this piece of tape is a string that, that heads out that door and it's not stuck to the door. It heads out that door and it... it what direction are we, is that? West? That west. So, so that would go like to Wales. North. Wow, now, now you're challenging my geography. North Pole, Shetland Islands, and it just went and it kept going and it kept going and it, it wrapped around the globe and it just kept wrapping around the, the world. Okay, so you got that. This is a never-ending piece of tape, string, snake, whatever you want to And I want you to imagine for a moment that this is the timeline of your existence. So there was a day you didn't exist, but there never will be a day again when you don't exist. You will go on forever and ever and ever. All of us. Now, I put a little bit of white tape on the end here. You see this little bit? This is your life here on earth now. This is our life here and now. And the thing that's so desperately sad is that most of us are living for this and forgetting about this and this and this and all of that. And in some places, like where I come from and probably here as well, most of us are actually giving our first two-thirds of this for this last little piece. When we retire to Mallorca or Cape Town or, you know, in, in South Africa, people love golf estates. So they're all saving up to retire to that golf estate. And, and so we give ourselves in this bit for this last little section. And we forget all about this and this and this and all that's to come. And so living this, I call it the pack it all in life. You see, if we live for this, we're trying to cram everything in here. But Paul, the Apostle Paul, he says, actually, I give this, I lay this down, I live here for that. Yes. And friends, if you're a disciple of Jesus, the way you live in this shouldn't make sense to your friends. I mean, you shouldn't be weird, you're still their friend, but they should look at the decisions you make in this and they, they'll be like, why, what, what about that? What about that? And we should, we should be saying to them, mate, what about this and this and this? You see, if you live the packet all in life, it sets you up for radical, radical disappointment because this life was never meant to deliver on joy eternal. You were made for eternity. You weren't meant to pack it all into this life. And when we try and do that, we become incredibly disappointed because in that short little bit, relationships are hard. Work is hard. But we've got all of that 
to look forward to. In 1 Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1 and 10, Paul speaks to some of this. He says, For we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You see, Paul talks about this body, this mortal body that we live in as a tent. It's a temporary structure. Now, by definition, a temporary structure is temporary. It's not solid like this building. It's not made to last. It's frail. But what he says to us is that we have a beautiful future to look forward to. That we look forward to an eternal, perfect future where we will have a resurrection body that will be first class. Now, I, I, I will be able to eat loads of those cookies without sharing with my wife for fear of damaging the current chassis. We will be in a perfect reality with God forever. And death, my friend is the door through which we access that perfect eternity. We've got a home waiting for us, a new world, where we'll have new bodies, and it'll be a city, it'll be a new community, and we will enjoy culture and arts and food and drink and each other forever and ever and ever. And what I love about Paul is he says here, for we know. We can know this. We can know the security of our eternal destination. For we know. How do we know? Well, he's read scripture. He's listened to the words of Jesus. He knows what is coming. It's not like, uh, you know, it's, what was Leicester City? Like 500 to 1 odds? 5,000 to 1? This isn't like even 2 to 1 odds. We know. If you believe Jesus and believe the Bible, you can know for certain. In fact, just the chapter before, he says, knowing that he who raised Jesus will raise us too. We can be certain of this future. See, what we're talking about is an eternal home in the presence of God forever and ever and ever. But where we're at right now is not that. Where we're at right now, we live in this tent where he says we groan. We groan because it's failing. We groan with the imperfection, longing for the perfection that is to come. 
He says, while we're in the tent, we are burdened that we would be further clothed, that the mortal may be swallowed up with life. See, friends, we were made for that. We were made for eternity. We are made for a forever in perfection with God. That's what we are made for. And, and we, we, we need to be those that long for that because that's good news. And that's where we're headed. That's our destination. So how does knowing this affect us? How does this help us? Well, knowing this gives us courage to live in the white bit. See, knowing what's to come helps me bear with the, the tough stuff here. It helps me to live well here. The, if we know that, we'll live well here. See, Paul says, he says here, look, I'd rather be with Jesus. Friend, if you were with Jesus now, it would be way better than being here with us. Paul says, I'd rather be there. I'd rather be there. But while I'm here, we press on. And there's two things, he, two tips he gives us here that help us press on. Firstly, he, he says we walk by faith, not by sight. You see, if you walk by sight, you walk with your eyes filled with this bit. Walking by faith doesn't mean you give mental assent to the existence of God or a higher power. That's not faith. Faith is a living relationship with Jesus. Faith means that you're walking day by day with the living Risen Lord Jesus. That helps you live well in this bit. And then he says, we've been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. Now, the Holy Spirit is amazing, and we speak a lot about the fact that the Holy Spirit is the one that comes inside us and empowers us for doing mission. I'm sure you've spoken about that. If you've lost a loved one, you may have experienced the Holy Spirit coming as a comforter. But here Paul tells us that the Spirit is the guarantee on what is to come. He's the down payment on that house that ensures that it will be yours. And so, friend, if you haven't yet been filled with the Holy Spirit, number one, be filled with the Holy Spirit. But Christian, the Holy Spirit in you is, is the difference between living here with a desperation mentality and living here certain of the future that he has for you. Paul goes on, whether we're at home with him or we are away here, we make it our joy to please him. And then he drops this little bomb in there. He says, for we must all appear before his judgment seat. We all come before the judgment seat and we are judged alone. Again, as we pass through the door of death, the Bible teaches that we all die once and face judgment. So if you're here in a crowd this size, I'm sure there are some visitors, I'm sure the one or two that wouldn't call yourself a disciple of Jesus, I want to I wanna just flag this one and say, friend, you don't want to come before the judgment seat without having your sins forgiven, without having one to stand there as an advocate for you. This is a terrifying thought of coming before God, having to answer and pay for all the junk that you've done in your life. See, what I often say is our junk really is us preferring 
this stuff, temporary stuff, it might be relationships, it might be your work, it might be your leisure, it might be your fun. You're preferring that over God. And the Bible's very clear that that junk, we call it sin, is horrific to God. That's the reason that he sent Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth. He lived a perfect life and was murdered on that cross to take the punishment for all of our junk, for all of our preferring of other stuff over God. So friend, I want to I recommend Jesus to you. See, the Bible says that if, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved. And what happens is there's a transaction that happens when, that, when you do that. All your junk that Jesus paid for is removed from you and you receive the righteousness that belonged to him. I want to recommend him to you. And the moment that happens, for those of you that are disciples of Jesus, your eternity starts. You, the Bible says that we were dead in our sin, but we are now alive in Christ. And so from that moment, we are living now for him forever and ever and ever. I want to bring some applications, so... I want to plead with you, God first, Cheltenham, that you don't live like this is the destination. Don't live like that. Don't live like this is the destination because you will be living with a continual sense of FOMO. Do you know what FOMO is? You, you know what it is? Fear of missing out. You will be perpetually, you will be missing out. Let me just tell you, as Howard said, there are way better preachers operating in other places. You, you are missing out right now. You could be in another church with better music, better preaching, better biscuits, cookies. Right now, some of your friends are doing cooler stuff. You see, if you live like that little bit is the destination, your car is never going to be good enough because it's always your neighbor who's got the Porsche. You see, there's always people who have better friends than you do. Their families are just tidier and more together. They have better stuff. You know, you, you head out to play a game of cricket and he's got the latest bat and you will live with a perpetual sense of FOMO if you live like this is all there is. See, we need to have a preparation mentality that we see this life as preparation for all that is to come. Because the Bible teaches that the decisions and the way we live our life in this bit echoes into all of eternity. So if we live like this is preparation for that, that enables us really to get hold of passages of Scripture like Romans 8, 28. Where God says, I work all things for the good of those who love me and are called according to my purposes. So when you're sitting, you're facing that cancer, you're facing that job loss, you're facing the tough stuff, all things. They're in there. All things. But God works them out for your eternal good. Your long-term good. Now, sometimes they work out for good in this life, 
But friends, we are far too short-sighted. And we're looking for the good next week, next month, next year, maybe even next decade. And God's thinking, next eon. You won't, you won't believe what stuff I've got for you. And one day we will know how he's worked out this tough situation for our eternal good. Friends, if you live like this, you won't live with continual disappointment. See, life was never meant to produce satisfaction. Now, now, now we have glimpses of it. God's given me an amazing wife. Sometimes my dogs even obey me. I mean, there's moments of joy in this life, and praise God for the amazing good things he gives us. You know, England may win the Euros. That would be wonderful. I hope it happens for you. But actually, this short life was not meant to produce satisfaction. You see, life, life works best when you have a long-term view. Life works best when you have eternity in view. I love camping. And every year, as a family, we, we go camping in, in our summer, which is December. And we meet my in-laws. And Lauren's got three brothers with wives and loads of kids. And we kind of camp out together. And I love it. It's a great time. You sit around the fire, cooking our meat, chatting. The kids play cricket from like dawn till dusk. It's just never-ending cricket match going on. It's just awesome. But you know, about the second last evening, I start to become twitchy. And I begin to look forward to my bed. Any of you been camping? You guys, do, you, guys, you guys are brave campers. I wouldn't camp if I lived here. But it's like I start to look forward to my shower back home and my fridge in the kitchen, but my bed most of all. And, you know, you could make a case that the whole point of camping is it makes you appreciate home. Any of you identify with that? Like, like you come home and home is like amazing. <laughs> See, friend, I want to remind you, as Paul tells you, your tent is temporary. And when you live in a tent, your stuff gets in a mess. You wake up some mornings, if you're over 40, and you are aching and creaking. And people, little people normally, they walk junk into your tent. Your, your life gets messed up. Your life doesn't work as well as it used to. Your life has junk walked into it. But this should leave you longing for what's to come. We should be a people that long for the perfect in a different way from those who long for the perfect here and now. We have a glorious future to look forward to. Philip Yancey, in his book, Rumors of Another World, says the following. He says, 
Nature treats death as a normal occurrence, the foundation of the all-important food chain. Only we humans react with shock and elaboration as though we can't get used to the fact. We dress up the corpse in new clothes, we embalm them, bury in airtight caskets and concrete vaults to slow the natural decay. We act out a stubborn reluctance to yield to this most powerful of life experiences. These unnatural reactions hint at another world. In a way unique to our species, we are not fully at home here. As a symptom of that fact, we feel stirrings towards something higher and more lasting. We feel stirrings towards something higher and more lasting. And friends, my goal this morning is to stir you towards something higher and more lasting. I'm wanting to remind you this morning, the decisions you make, the way you live now, will echo for all eternity. I want to call us to live well with that in mind. You know, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, he's got this amazing chapter where he talks about death, and the most well-known verse from it is, oh, death, where is your sting? It's like, for the believer, we no longer have to fear death. If you're not a Christ follower this morning, you do have to fear death. But if you're a Christ follower, you no longer have to fear death. And it's like Paul, has, he's got the ball in his own 22. And we, he's like sidestepped the opposition and he's broken through and he's gone and he's about to score the try. And he looks back at them and he holds the ball up. Where are you? And then he puts it down. Death, where is your sting? But at the end of this chapter, he finishes up by saying this. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, therefore, God first Cheltenham, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. There's something similar in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, after the passage we read, Christ's love compels us in the light of this, that we should no longer live for ourselves, but that we should live for him who died for us. Friends, Jesus died for us. The gospel empowers us to live differently in this section. He has led us, he has set us free so that we in this little white bit can fully live for him. Can I invite you to stand with me? We're going to share communion in a couple of moments, but I just want us to close our eyes. I just want to take some time. I find it helpful to close my eyes just for privacy. But if you're a Christ follower this morning, you call yourself a disciple of Jesus, I want to encourage you to lay hold of him afresh not get caught up in this present age that we find ourselves in. I want to call you to stand firm in your faith, to be immovable, to abound in the work of the Lord, as Paul says, to give yourself for the advance of God's kingdom through this church while you're in this city. 
And if God moves you to another city, then you find a church and you give yourself to the work of God there. But for those who are disciples of Jesus, just for a moment, why don't you just ask the Holy Spirit to impress on you if there are any areas of your life that you need to repent of, that you need to change. What bits are you living for the here and now and you've taken your eyes off the long-term goal? Just ask Him to do that. If you're here as a friend or just been checking out this church, while the, while the Christians do that, I want to just invite you to lay hold of Jesus this morning. He loves you. He died for you. And I want to invite you to believe in him. So that you need not fear death. As I said earlier, it is appropriate that you fear death now. But if you have Jesus, you need not fear death because death just becomes a door into a glorious, perfect future. The glorious, perfect future that you have been made for. And accepting Him now will echo into eternity. Rejecting Him now will echo into eternity. And I don't want this moment to pass for you. I want to invite you to put your trust in Jesus. To believe on Him. You don't need to have all the I's dotted and the T's crossed. You just need to put your trust in Him. You need to, you, you need to believe that He is who He says He is. If there's anyone like that, why don't you be brave and pop your hand up. Our eyes are closed. Well, mine aren't, but everyone else's are. I invite you, just put your trust in Him. We'll help you work out what that means. But I don't want today to go by without you putting your trust in Him. Elsewhere in the Bible, Jesus says He's the door. The door into what? Well, the door into a glorious, eternal, perfect future. Believe on Him. He will never let you down. So anyone like that? Okay, there's no one putting their hands up. If you are an inquirer here, I encourage you to keep on inquiring. But please don't leave here without just coming and saying hi to me. I'd love to hear your story. We're going to share the bread and wine now. This is what we do as believers. We remember what Christ has done for us. His body broken and His blood shed. And it's appropriate that we examine ourselves as we have been doing for those of us who are believers that we repent of sin and that we come celebrating the wonderful gift of his life for more information visit our website at godfirst.org.uk